This morning, we want to continue looking into God's Word and uh, continue through the book of Job. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to grab it. We are actually going to read some of chapter 21 this week. I know we haven't been doing a lot of actually reading from the text because we're covering some weeks up to four chapters at a time. But this morning, we're going to take a look at a smaller chunk of chapter 21, even though the section that we are looking at is chapter 21 and 22. But before we actually dive into it, I want to ask a question. Have you ever been somewhere or experienced something or saw something on TV? Have you ever been around anything that it just blew your mind? You, you took a look at it and you said, I don't know how that is possible. Maybe it's something in nature. I've, I've really been enjoying these intense storms that Estevan has. This is pretty cool. You know, but you, <clears throat> excuse me. You see a storm, and it's like you see an incredible demonstration of power. And oftentimes, it just kind of blows my mind of like, how is that even possible? I remember being down in Yellowstone and seeing these geysers shooting water up, like way up in the air. It's like, how can that happen? Oh, God made that. It blows my mind. Sometimes it's things that people will do. You know, you might be watching a sporting event and you see somebody make this shot that it's like, how is that even possible? And your mind is blown. Or maybe it's something that you see in science or in medicine that you're going, I don't even understand. How is that How did somebody even think to look for that? We all encounter things that blow our minds that we just don't understand. Well, this morning we're going to be taking a look at what do we do when we encounter something that we don't understand, something that just blows our mind. Now, for the pastor's club, the picture for this week, it's really simple. Draw a picture of something that blows your mind. I look forward to seeing what you come up with that. In Job chapter 21, we are continuing with the story of Job having lost everything and his friends having come to comfort him. Now, most of the book is a conversation, and we're about halfway through the conversation. You're thinking, oh man, Pastor Craig's been preaching on Job forever, and we're only halfway through the conversation. Yet, brace yourselves, it'll probably take till the end of summer to finish getting through this book. But that's okay. Because each week we see new things that God is teaching us. And this morning, we see Job acknowledging that he does not understand God. And he has a specific question that just blows his mind. And he just goes, I can't wrap my head around this. I want to read this morning, Job chapter 21, beginning at verse 2. Then Job replied, Listen carefully to my words. Let this be the consolation you give me. Bear with me while I speak, and after I have spoken, mock on. This is my complaint directed to a human is my complaint directed to a human being? Why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be appalled. Clap your hand over your mouth. When I think about this, I am terrified, trembling. seizes my body. Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? (laughs) That was smooth, Graham. 
real smooth. Thanks for taking care of whatever you're taking care of. <clears throat> Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? They see their children established around them, their offspring before their eyes. Their homes are safe and free from fear. The rod of God is not on them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows calve and do not miscarry. They send forth children as a flock. Their little ones dance about. They sing to the music of timbrel and lyre, and they make merry to the sound of the pipe. They spend their years in prosperity and go down to the, to the grave in peace. Yet they say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What should we gain by praying to him? But their prosperity is not there in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. Let's pray. Father, as we look into this passage, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, will speak through everything that is said. That the words that are spoken will not be my words, but your words. Open our ears to hear you. Open our minds to understand you. Open our hearts and wills to be willing to obey whatever it is that you say to us this morning. Teach us, I pray, in your name. Amen. So, did you catch Job's question? It's really quite simple. Why do wicked people prosper? He's in good company, by the way. Uh, I, I was looking this week just to see where else is this question raised in Scripture. Psalm 73, Lamentations chapter 1, Daniel chapter 11, Malachi chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 12. And perhaps it's been asked by many of you over the times as well. As you take a look at situations around you and you go, why is it that that person is just so bad and yet they seem to be doing so well. Now, I need to put this in context because this kind of seems like a random question out of the blue. We're, we're talking about Job who's just lost everything and his friends are comforting him. Where does this question come from? Well, keep in mind, Job's friends have been using what I call sequential logic. They have got God all figured out and they have been telling Job the same message week after week. Now, I would love at this moment to stop and see if anybody could tell me what the message is that they've been telling, because I've been saying the same thing week after week, but I won't put you on the spot, and I realize that most often we forget a lot of what we hear, and so I won't embarrass you by making you think that you didn't know it, because if I was sitting in your shoes, I probably would be going, oh boy, I don't remember what it was. What was it? Maybe this will jog your memory. God is a God of judgment. God's judgment looks like suffering. Because Job is suffering, that means he's going through God's judgment, which means he's wicked. That's the logic they've been using. That's what his friends have been saying to him week after week, chapter after chapter. And keep in mind, this conversation probably took many, many, many days to complete. And they've been saying the same thing over and over. Job, we've got this all figured out. We know what God is doing here. God is a God of judgment. His judgment looks like suffering. So therefore, because you're suffering, you're experiencing God's judgment, which means you've got to repent of something. You're a wicked person. 
Last week, we took a look at a passage where one of Job's friends just made a list of all the bad things that happened to wicked people. All the ways that wicked people experience God's judgment. And so Job is kind of countering that. He goes, okay, I'll bite. I'll go with your logic here. If in fact that is true, then explain to me why wicked people prosper. And Job gives a description. He describes what their prosperity is like in the text that was read, but he also describes how many people blatantly reject God. They don't want anything to do with God. Let me just reread some of those verses. Um, They say to God, leave us alone. We have no desire to know your ways. Who is the Almighty that we should serve him? What would we gain by praying to him? Their prosperity is not in their own hands. So I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. Job acknowledges This is something I don't understand. I don't get this, God. I don't get this, friends. Why is it that the wicked seem to prosper? That's the question that blows Job's mind. That's the question that he goes, I don't understand this. And I want to just take a moment and take a look at what his response is. Verse 16. Their prosperity is not in their own hands, so I stand aloof from the plans of the wicked. Let's put it another way. I know that what's going on in the lives of those wicked people, their prosperity, all the things that they're getting, it's not in their hands. What Job is really saying is, I know that God is at work in this somehow. God is the one who's in control. God is the one who is at work. Verse 22, can anyone teach knowledge to God since he judges even the highest? Not only is Job's response to acknowledge that God is at work, he acknowledges that God's ways are the best. In other words, I can't teach God anything. He's the one that knows what's best. That's how Job responds. His friends, I've already mentioned how they responded, They already had God figured out. If we were to take time to read through chapter 22, we'd see them making specific accusations against Job of things that they feel that he did wrong. We'd see them spending the majority of the chapter once again explaining their logic of here's how God works and judgment equals suffering and you're suffering, so therefore you're experiencing judgment. And the chapter ends with an appeal that they make to Job. Just submit to God. The difference between the two is Job acknowledges he does not understand God. His friends, they speak like they've got God all figured out. But let's make this just a little bit more personal here. You know, we need to ask a question if we're going to figure out how this relates to us. Who are the wicked? Uh, Don't don't point fingers. No no pointing at anybody. Don't don't elbow the person beside you now. Come on, let's, let's be nice here. Let's, let's just think about this for a minute. The word wicked that is used in Job, the same Hebrew word can be translated as ungodly. You see it throughout the Psalms. 
as it talks about the ungodly. It's the same word. The definition of the word is someone who is guilty of a crime or deserving of punishment. Hold on to that definition because we're going to come back to it. Job gives his description of the wicked. He describes what their life is like. Their prosperity, their health, all the good things that are happening, their homes are safe. And their blatant refusal to acknowledge the work of God and their need for God. Now let me ask you the question, who are the wicked? Maybe you've got a different picture in mind now. You know, there are things that we see in others that we may go, oh, that applies to them. Oh, that applies to that person. Oh, that applies to so-and-so. Have you noticed how easy it is? Isn't it a lot more fun, you know, when you're listening to a sermon to go, oh, that applies to so-and-so. I sure hope so-and-so is listening well this morning. And now that we're live streaming, I mean, you could say that even if they're not in church, it's like, I hope they're watching the live stream right now. You know, I hope they're singing. Oh, no, they're not here. You know, it's so much fun to point fingers and draw the parallels and go, oh, the wicked. Oh, the people that are prospering, the people that are relying on their prosperity, who are rejecting God. Oh, yeah, I know who that is. But remember, when you point your finger at somebody, how many fingers are pointing back at you? Well, no, I'm not wicked. I'm not relying on my prosperity. I'm not relying on my power. I haven't murdered anybody. I'm not a cheat. I'm not an abuser. I'm not a dealer. I'm not, you list, list all those things. You know what the book of Jeremiah says about our hearts? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Whose heart? Oh, that's theirs, right? That's, that's the bad people's heart. That's, that's what Jeremiah was talking about. It's, it's, it's all them. No, it's all of humanity. All of us, every one of us, our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Remember the definition of wicked? Guilty of a crime and or deserving of punishment. Now let me ask you a question. Who deserves punishment? In God's eyes, who deserves punishment? Uh-huh, yeah, those three fingers are pointing back, aren't they? I know they are at me. You know, we like to think of things in the world as being fair. We want to make sure that everything's fair. And, you know, even, even in response to COVID, it's amazing how many conversations I've had with people of going, well, how come in restaurants we get to do this, and in theaters we get to do this, and in churches we get to do this, and it's different. That's just not fair. What would you get from God if he was fair with you? I'll tell you what I'd get. Death and eternal separation from him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Every one of us, if we got what we deserved from God, it would be death and punishment. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still wicked, Christ died for us. How's that for a truth that blows your mind? 
that should just rock your world. To think that even though I don't deserve God's love, I don't deserve God's forgiveness, I deserve his punishment because I know I have done things that are not honoring to God, and yet he loves me so much that he paid the price for my sin. That should blow your mind. What do you do when you encounter things that blow your mind? When we take a look at Scripture, there are so many things that blow our minds. There are some things that are so amazing that we just go, wow, I don't get that. I don't understand that. That's incredible. And there are other things in Scripture that are so confusing that we go, I don't get it. What do we do when we encounter a text in Scripture that we scratch our heads and we go, I don't understand that. I don't get it. Or where we may be talking to somebody and we go, I think I've figured it out, but they've figured it out differently than me. You know, the reality is, this is an incredibly complex book. We like to think of the Bible as being a nice, neat list of this is right, this is wrong, do this, don't do this, and that's the way the whole Bible's written. You know, the more I study God's Word, the more I realize it is not a book that is clear-cut, do this, don't do this. It's a book full of tensions that we have to live in the midst of. We love to picture God as being loving and gracious and caring. But he is also a God who is angered by sin and who is just and who does carry out judgment. You try and wrap your head around both of those. How many conversations have I had with people who they go, the Old Testament, it's just full of war and violence and all that stuff. That must be wrong because once Jesus came, we don't live that way. We're told not to live that way. So that isn't valid teaching anymore. Sorry. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training. Now, how does it fit together? It's complex. I don't claim to have all the answers. What do I do when I encounter somebody who has a different interpretation on something than I do? Oh, man, that kind of blows my mind. kind of rocks my world. What was Job's response? He acknowledged that God is at work in this and that God's ways are higher. You know, this week as I was preparing for this message, I came across a book that I looked at, thinking it would teach me something about the culture that Job lived in. Uh, the book is entitled, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes, Removing Cultural Blinders. And I thought, oh, well, I'll learn about the culture. But it doesn't talk about the culture in Bible time at all. It actually is a book that looks at it from the premise of how whenever we interpret Scripture, we always look at it through the filter of our own culture. And sometimes that draws us to incorrect conclusions about what Scripture is really saying. And at the end of the book, he gave some practical steps that we can take when we encounter Scriptures that we need to look at through the filter of what Scripture is truly saying rather than through culture. And as I looked at those steps, I thought, you know, those are some good things to keep in mind when we encounter Scriptures that blow our mind, that we don't understand, that we can't wrap our heads around. He said this, first of all, embrace complexity. 
Don't think that you've got to oversimplify absolutely everything in Scripture. It's okay to have differing opinions about some things. Now, as I say that, please hear this. I am not saying that the Scripture is a wishy-washy book and that there's nothing concrete. The Scripture doesn't, there aren't things that Scripture says that are clearly this. There are some things in Scripture that are black and white. They are clear. They are plain. But embrace the complexity of the book as well. Embrace those tensions that we have to live in of how can this be true and this be true. Remember, it's God who we're talking about here. I can't teach God anything, as Job said, but God can teach me. Embrace the complexity. Beware of overcorrection. You ever heard of the theory of the pendulum swing? If you're over here on any issue and you decide you're going to change, most likely you're going to go all the way over here and then maybe you'll come back to somewhere here. And there are some times where the appropriate response is, no, I need to be the complete opposite. But you know, when we're looking at Scripture and actually anything that's significant in our lives, the natural tendency is if we want to make a change, we tend to swing way too far. You know, this church has been through a complex issue lately. I know that before I arrived here, this church worked through the question of whether women can be in the position of elders or not. That is an incredibly complex issue. What makes it so complex is that there are people that will be on both sides of the fence, if you want to call it that. You can read biblical scholars that have studied, and they will come to one conclusion, and other biblical scholars will come to another conclusion. And you go, how is this possible? It's complex. It's not something that we answer necessarily as to what is right or wrong. And that's why we have churches that are set up in all different ways. And you know, the decision that this church made was not a decision of what is right and what is wrong. It was a decision of what is the best way for Estevan Alliance Church family to function at this time in light of who we are and in light of what Scripture says. That's embracing complexity. That is actually being aware of the various opinions and seeking to grapple with what does it look like for us. But I share that as an example because let me share an example of a church that I heard of that overcorrected. They made the decision, we will only have males serving as elders. So in the process of making a statement about that, the statement they made was, we will have no females give any leadership on our platform ever. That's overcorrection. They took it from the issue that they were talking about and applied it so far over here, it's like, what does that even have to do with it? We need to be aware of that in our lives, in our study of Scripture. The book goes on to say we need to be teachable and to embrace error. Embrace error doesn't mean that you necessarily just change your ways and agree with it because it's wrong. No, embrace error is acknowledge, I won't get it right every time. You won't get it right every time. We won't get it right every time. But when that happens, and as we go through the process, be teachable. You know, the moment you think you are the expert in anything in life, you're probably not at a very good place. In every area of life, we should always be looking at what can we learn through this situation? What, how can we grow? 
God, what are you wanting to teach us? And finally they said, we need to be reading together. We need to be studying together. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As we read together, as we study together, that's how we get the differing opinions. That's how we're able to learn from one another and grow from one another. Now you might think, what does this have to do with the story of Job that we just read? Job acknowledged there was a truth that he did not understand. There was a reality of the work that God was doing that he did not understand. Why do the wicked prosper? And yet in the midst of it, he acknowledged that God is at work and that God's work is better, even though I may not understand it. I want to draw my own four points of what we do when we encounter things that we don't understand. And this is not just to do with interpreting Scripture. This is anything in life. When we find ourselves in circumstances that we don't understand what God is doing, when we find ourselves in circumstances that just don't make sense, when we see things being done that we go, I don't get how that can happen, how do we respond? First of all, don't assume that you know everything. Job modeled this for us. He acknowledged that their prosperity of the wicked, it's not in their hands. Who can teach God knowledge? No one. Don't assume to know everything, and don't assume to understand God. That's the mistake Job's friends made. That's the mistake they made as they came to their conclusions. Here's how God's working and this is what's happening. And because we know the whole story, we've got chapter 1 and chapter 2 that we can read, we know that their assumptions were false. Don't assume to know everything. Don't assume to understand God. But also, don't give up on God. You may have your ideas in mind as to how a situation should be resolved. We pray for healing, and we desire to see the physical ailment removed. Don't give up on God just because you don't see that healing happening the way that you want it in your time. Hold on to Him. Lean into Him in those times. Don't assume to know everything. Don't assume to understand God. Don't give up on God. And don't give up on others. Let's go back to the story of Job. We are halfway through the conversation. We have seen these friends getting in each other's face and being really, really harsh with one another. Job has called his friends worthless physicians. They're useless counselors. Their comfort is worthless. Their friend, his friends have been getting in his face and saying, Job, smarten up. You are experiencing God's judgment. Just repent. This is what you need. I acknowledged a couple of weeks ago the conversation really has become a downright, it's a fight, okay? It's, it's a, a playground brawl kind of thing. And yet, we're only halfway through the conversation. Spoiler alert, Job's friends never walk away from him, 
and Job never tells his friends to get lost. They don't give up on each other. They don't necessarily agree on everything. Yeah, there's some intense conversations, but they stick with each other. And Job's friends are the only ones that stick with him. Remember his wife's response? Give up your integrity. Just curse God and die. What happened to all of his neighbors and friends? We saw this a couple of weeks ago, and if, if you'd read through the whole story of, of what Job was saying and his friends were saying, he acknowledges all of his friends left him. All of his family left him. In fact, we see at the end of the book, after Job gets everything back, all of a sudden his extended family shows up and his neighbors show up because now they want to comfort him. But who was there through thick and thin? His friends. And they stuck with each other. If I can make this a little bit more personal for us, I would say, don't assume to know everything. Don't assume to understand God. Don't give up on God. And don't give up on others. The church. You know, one of the incredible things about COVID-19 and all the responses that we've had and the difficult decisions we've made of closing church buildings and all that kind of stuff is it really has forced us to think about what is the church. We just happen to gather in the church building. But folks, we are the church. Gathered here, watching on the live stream, we as people are the church. Will we get everything right? No. Will we have times where we'll be in each other's faces kind of things about things that we won't agree? Yeah, we probably will. But don't give up on the church. It is so sad to me when I speak to people and I know that for whatever reason, they have given up on the church. Folks, Job and his friends modeled this for us. Job didn't assume to know everything. Job didn't assume to understand God. Job didn't give up on God. And Job and his friends, they didn't give up on each other either. In whatever you're facing that you're not understanding right now, in whatever area of life it is, are you trusting in God? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. That's what Job was doing. And to lean not on our own understanding. That's what his friends were doing. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Don't assume to know everything. Don't assume to understand God. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on others. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these truths that we see in Scripture. As we see these things modeled for us by Job and his friends, in a situation where his loss was incredible, and yet he demonstrates for us what his response is when he doesn't understand things. He poses a good question, one that we may never know the answers to completely, but he also models for us what our response can be. Father, I pray for our church. 
as each one of us face different circumstances, there are things that we may not understand. There are things that we will not be able to comprehend how you are at work. We may not even see your hand in a situation. Lord, help us to not try and understand things in our own mind, but rather to lean into you rather than giving up on you. Help us to lean into one another. Lord, may we not give up on one another. I pray that you would help us, even as we go into this week, to grow in our faith, to be able to say, even though I don't understand it, I know that you are working, God. May we put our trust in you, and may we rely on you to be the giver of our strength. And in all our ways, may we acknowledge you. And I look forward to seeing how you will direct our paths. I pray this in your name. Amen.